So, worry. Worry seems to be just kind of an unfortunate fact of life, right? I mean, it's, it's just simply part of the human experience. I mean, we all have worrisome circumstances in our lives. You know, I, I know from talking to many of you this morning, final exams are at hand, right? You know, so there's final exams, and those could be in final papers and final projects, and especially, you know, I, I know uh, that probably group projects are the worst, right? Because you have to rely on other people, okay? And then so, oh my gosh, what about the people I get stuck with in this group project, okay? Oh, you know, and, and, and so school is a worrisome, potentially a worrisome circumstance. And then there's job uncertainty. Like, what about when school's over, okay, and then you got to work, right? you got to get a job. And, and so uncertainty about that, or, or, or maybe, maybe you've lost your job. And so there's uncertainty about not just job, but finances, financial concerns. How are we going to pay all the bills? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I, you know, and am I making enough money? Where's the money going to come from? You know, so we have financial concerns. And then, and then how about relationships? Is this relationship going where I want it to go? Is this going to work out? Or maybe broken relationships. Maybe relationships that have been, been damaged by some type of, you know, sinful activity. Or how about just sin? How about our sin? Our sin can be a worrisome circumstance or perhaps all of this in the lives of loved ones you know their sin or bad decisions or broken relationships or house fires okay you know i mean all of those things okay uh are are worrisome circumstances and there are more i mean i've i'm sure I haven't touched the one, or maybe I haven't touched on the one that you're experiencing right now. Maybe it's illness or, or, or death. You know, maybe that's the worrisome circumstance that you're facing. But whatever it is, we, we all have these circumstances and issues in our lives in which we are prone to worry about. It seems like worry is part of the human condition. But yet, the Scripture tells us repeatedly not to worry. So I think we have to ask, what fuels our worry? We have all of these circumstances, okay, that are worrisome, that we have the potential of worrying about, okay? All right, that was just a little inside joke. If you didn't know, if you didn't catch it, don't worry about it. Okay? We have all these, all these like, potential worrisome circumstances, all right, and yet the Scripture says not to do it. Well, what fuels it? What fuels our worry? Is it Faith, or is it fear? Let's. Does anybody know the answer to the question? It certainly isn't faith, is it? Does faith fuel our fear? I'm sorry, does faith fuel our worry? No, fear and unbelief is what fuels our worry. So how do we deal with worry? Because it's everywhere, and we have all of these worrisome circumstances, and there's all of this uncertainty and pain and wondering about the future and whatever, and people around us are worrying, okay? And people worry about us, and we worry about others, and yet the Scripture tells us, commands us, admonishes us not to worry. And so now we have this, what do I do? What do I do about this worry that I don't want? that I understand is fueled by fear and unbelief, how do I deal with that? Well, this morning, 
We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. And we're going to look at what the scripture has to say about worry and how we deal with it. Um, and I, I believe what we're going to find today as we look in the scriptures is that because God is sovereign and present in our lives, Christians can rejoice in and entrust to him all of their circumstances. Let me just say that again, because this is really the main point of the passage and the main point of the sermon this morning, that, that because God is sovereign and present, or maybe even sovereignly present in our lives, Christians can rejoice in and entrust to God all of their circumstances. So, let's see what the scripture has to say. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I think it's pretty clear. The scripture tells us that the way we deal with worry is to trust, right? I mean, is, is that not what Philippians 4 tells us to do? It tells us to trust in God's sovereignty, to trust in his presence. He is at hand, okay? So what does that look like? What does it look like to trust? Because that is a very easy phrase for us to say, well, just trust in the Lord. Just trust in God. I mean, isn't that easy to say? But what does it look like? How do we know that we are trusting in God? Because, I, you know, I can tell you, oh, yeah, I'm trusting in God for that circumstance. And it might just be lip service. I might just be putting up a front, you know, a brave front. I'm saying the right thing, but how do I know that that's a reality in my life? How do I know that I'm trusting in God's sovereignty for whatever, the, the job that I need, or the relationship that needs repaired, or the sin that needs to be eradicated in my own life, or the bad decisions that a loved one is making, or whatever it is, or, or how are they going to get by now, you know, now that they that this this thing has happened, now that the the house is burned, or the you know, or the job has been lost, or another baby is on the way, okay? How, how do how do I know that I'm trusting in God's sovereignty for those kinds of circumstances? Well, the passage tells us. First of all, the command, the admonition to rejoice. In the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Those who trust rejoice. Rejoicing is a characteristic of those who are trusting in the sovereignty of God for every circumstance in their life. And that word rejoice, it means more than simply to be happy. Okay? Because happiness is really dependent on our circumstances. We are happy 
when things go well, go good, go the way we want, and we are unhappy when they don't. Okay, when things don't work out the way we want, when people don't make the decisions we want them to make, or when people don't act towards us the way we want them to act, or when, when our efforts result in something less than the success that we were looking for, or just when we're comfortable or uncomfortable. When we're comfortable, we're happy. When we're uncomfortable, we're unhappy. So rejoicing really has very little or nothing to do with happiness. But really, rejoicing here is a deep satisfaction in God. That's why the command is to rejoice always in the Lord. And then repeat it. Again, I say rejoice. Not something other than rejoice, but rejoice. Because here is the struggle. We really, I think, have two struggles or two challenges in rejoicing in the Lord always. As we think about trusting in the sovereignty of God and, and one, one response or, 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 or one result of trusting in God's sovereignty in each and every circumstance is rejoicing in the Lord always. The challenge for us is that, one, we tend to rejoice in our circumstances instead of the Lord. So we miss out on the always rejoicing rejoicing in the Lord always because we're not rejoicing in the Lord. We're rejoicing in our circumstance. Again, we're happy because we're getting what we want. We're happy because we feel like life is treating us well, and therefore we rejoice in that. We, we rejoice in our good fortune. We rejoice in our happiness. We rejoice that, that bad things aren't happening to us. And that's not rejoicing in the Lord. That's rejoicing in our circumstances. Now, true rejoicing in the Lord is rejoicing when we are unhappy. You can rejoice and be unhappy. You can. Your circumstances can be such in your life that you're just not happy with them. That things are hard. Life is difficult. But you're still rejoicing in the Lord because He's the Lord. Because He's in control. Because you know that He's working this difficult circumstance in your life for your good and ultimately for His glory. And when God is glorified, we rejoice. Right? Right. We rejoice when God is glorified. And when is God glorified? Anytime His purpose is accomplished. And when does God accomplish His purpose? Always! Always, God always accomplishes His purpose. And we rejoice when God's purpose is being accomplished. He's, a, he's working His will. And when is that happening? All the time. God's always doing that. God's, God's purpose never goes unaccomplished. God never says, oh, well, I missed it on that one. I was, I was going for this, but it didn't work. Better luck next time. No, that's never God's approach, that's never, that's never the way God works. God is always accomplishing His purpose. And so we rejoice in that, and sometimes that means we're rejoicing in our difficulty. It means we're rejoicing in our pain, but not really in our difficulty and in our pain. That, I, I, that's, the, that's the wrong thing. It's we're rejoicing in the Lord through our difficulty and our pain. Because, again, God is sovereign. He is in control. He is working that for our good. He is working that ultimately for His glory. And, that's a, and that is a 
joyful, rejoicing circumstance. So rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstance. But then the other challenge is that, well, we tend to bemoan and complain in the Lord. So we, we, we may... We may not be rejoicing in our circumstances, but then we turn and we complain and bemoan in the Lord. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why is this happening to me? Oh, you know, God, I don't even want to talk to you. Change this. Change this around so I can be comfortable. God, why why have you done this to me? Why are you treating me this way? Implying, God, I deserve better. God, I deserve better from you than this because I'm faithful and I go to church and I'm reading my Bible and I'm, and I'm following hard after you and I, 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 I. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem there? It's all, it turns around to all be about me. It's all about when, I, when I'm saying these things to God, when I am bemoaning and complaining to the Lord because of my circumstances, it's because this life that I call mine is not working out the way I want it to, and I am upset about it, so I am taking it up with the Lord. It's, again, it, it's a selfish, self-centered view of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Our rejoicing, this call to rejoice, is in the Lord. And so the source of our rejoicing and the object of our rejoicing is the Lord. That's why we can rejoice always, whatever the circumstance, because God is the source of the rejoicing, and he is the object of the rejoicing, and nothing else. Not us, not our circumstance, not, not even those around us. You know, when someone is going through something difficult and, and the church, as it should, gathers around them and ministers to them and lifts them up and prays and encourages and just physically rolls up their sleeves and helps, that is indeed a time for rejoicing, but it's a time for rejoicing in the Lord, not even in my friends or my my church or my community of faith, but it's rejoicing in the Lord because it's because of the Lord the church exists, okay? And it's because of the Lord that the church is gathering around and encouraging and helping and lifting up and praying. So the rejoicing, again, is in the, is in the Lord. He is the source and the object of our rejoicing. Rejoicing means more than happiness. It's far beyond that. Rejoicing is deep satisfaction in the Lord. And rejoicing means rejoicing in the Lord, not in our circumstances. And rejoicing means rejoicing, not bemoaning and complaining in the Lord, which again is looking really at our circumstances. It's not about our circumstances. It's about about God. It's looking at Him, looking at the Lord, not looking at our circumstances or ourselves. And our rejoicing is not based on us or others or our circumstances. It's based on the Lord. He is the source and the object of our rejoicing. So the question is, why do you not rejoice? That's the question to ask ourselves this morning. Why don't I rejoice? In what circumstances do you find yourself 
not rejoicing? What, what is the tendency and the challenge for you? Is it that you tend to only rejoice in your circumstances and not in the Lord? Or is it that you tend to bemoan and complain in the Lord and not really rejoice in Him? Because remember, it's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And this rejoicing is a result of those who trust in the sovereignty and presence of God in the midst of their circumstances. So not only do those who trust rejoice, but those who trust are also selfless. Look at verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And you might be thinking, well, what is reasonableness? What, what does that mean? And it means that in the context of community, you'll... You, your focus is on others, not yourself. So in that sense, your gentle, other translations, your gentleness or your reasonableness, meaning your thoughts toward others, your selflessness, not thinking of self but the good of others, how others might be benefited. That is a result of trusting. When we trust in the Lord, then we turn around and act selflessly, unselfishly toward others. Now, think about it. When we're not trusting in the Lord, when we're not trusting in God's sovereignty, or those who don't trust in God's sovereignty but trust in themselves, what is their motive in many situations? To get what I can for me, to take care of, number one, to be concerned with myself above all. <coughs> Excuse me. That is often the attitude of us when we're not trusting in God's sovereignty or just those in general in our culture and the world around us who do not trust and rest in the sovereignty and presence of God. They care first for self. And selflessness is contrary to our sinful human nature. And it is contrary to to our fallen culture. But selflessness is consistent with being part of God's people in the community of faith. So we have an inconsistency with the world, with the culture, and even with our own sinful nature. But selflessness, unselfishness, is certainly consistent with being part of God's people. In fact, we would say God calls us. God calls us to selfless unselfishness in relationship to one another. That, that is, in some ways, part of a definition of what it means to be a community of faith. In part, a definition of what it means to be a church. It's not, it's not all of the definition of church. It's not all of the definition of a community of faith. But it is in part a definition. It's part of that definition. Unselfishness, selflessness in the way that we react and and relate to one another, but that's only possible. That kind of living is only possible as we trust in the sovereignty of God, as we rest in His sovereignty and rely upon His presence with us, because God is sovereignly present with us. That's very evident in the passage of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always, for the Lord, and let your reasonableness be evident to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is present. So we have God's presence and His sovereignty. 
to fuel our rejoicing and our selflessness, to enable and empower our rejoicing and our selflessness because we are trusting in His sovereign presence, His sovereignty and His presence with us. And again, just as God is the source of our rejoicing, God is also the source of our unselfishness, our selflessness. So if that's going to be evident to everyone, it means we're displaying it. It means we're living it. So, you know, how does anyone know that we are living selflessly? It's because they see it. It's displayed and demonstrated. It's not that we tell them, hey, I'm just living selflessly here. I'm just thinking of you. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, that's laughable, right? We're, we, we laugh at that because it's ridiculous to think that someone would just come up to you like, Brad, I just want you to know I'm thinking of you and I'm living for you. Um, I'm living selflessly, okay? I'm thinking of you first. And, uh, you know, right. B-Dog, thinking of you first, man. Victor, I'm thinking of you first before myself. just want you to know that. Oh, my gosh, how arrogant does that sound, right? How ridiculous. I mean, Here's, here's what I know. If someone comes to me and says, Jim, I just want you to know I'm thinking of you above my own needs and I'm just putting you first. You know what I know? No, they're not. <laughs> I know that the opposite is true because they just want me to know it. So I will heap praise upon them and it's all about themselves. Like if someone comes and tells me that, I know it's not true. <clears throat> here's when you know that you are living selflessly. When others come to you and say, man, thank you for thinking of my needs. Thank you for serving me and my family. Thank you, or thank you, I see the way you're serving others. When someone else comes to you and tells you and thanks you that you're, that you're living selflessly, that's when you know you're doing it. That's when you know you're living selflessly, when others come and tell you. Because... That's sort of the definition of unselfish or selfless. It's even doing so because you trust in the sovereignty of God and His presence and not for the praises of men because you're living for God, not for men. God is the source of our selflessness. So those who trust, they, they rejoice, they're selfless, but they also pray. Those who trust, pray. Prayer is actually the opposite of anxiety. Isn't that interesting? Prayer is the opposite of anxiety. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious in everything, but by prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Okay, so we have anxiety on one hand, and then, but instead, prayer and supplication. So, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. See that, that, that prayer is the opposite of anxiety. And anxiety is worry. Okay, worry. And so, prayer is the opposite of anxiety, at least prayer as it is described here in Philippians 4. Because it's in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
So in everything, meaning holding nothing back. In prayer, in everything. Prayer that is truly the opposite of anxiety is a prayer that holds nothing back but yields everything to God. Prayer in that way. Because let's face it, there are things that we want to hold back. There are things we want to hold back. Either either we think, okay, um, this is too hard or painful for me to talk about. I don't want to admit this. This is often when it comes to our own personal sin. Our own personal sin. We don't want to make that um, a, a matter of our prayer because, well, we just don't want to admit that it's there. We don't want to admit that our sin is as bad as it is, that it is such a hold on our lives, so we hold that back. We don't yield it to the Lord. We don't yield it in prayer. We keep it for ourselves. Or simply, we, we just don't think that God's going to work in that circumstance. That's really up to me. So we hold it back. It doesn't become... A matter of prayer because we're just, I'm, that's the thing I'm working on. You know, I, I, I'm working on this, so I don't need to pray about this. And, and really what that comes down to is this pride in our own abilities. We think that, well, you know, through my perseverance, skill, efforts, good work, wisdom, strength, I'm going to work this out. So this doesn't need to be a matter of prayer. So I hold it back. I keep it for myself to work on, to work out, because I trust myself. Do you see how, you know, or, or, or we pray, but still, so we might, we might go ahead and pray, like we will speak these words in prayer, but then turn around and still work it out ourselves. You know, okay, God, uh, I pray that you do this, then amen, now here's what I'm going to go do. Here's what I'm going to do. You know, there's this sense that I can fix, I'm going to pray, but it's up to me. It's up to me to fix this. So in everything, every circumstance, every need, praying and yielding to the Lord. That's the thing. Prayer in yielding this, giving it up to him, relinquishing control, relinquishing the desire to control, and entrusting it to God. God, I'm giving you this, and I won't worry anymore because it's in your hands, not mine. And God, your hands are far more capable than my hands. By prayer and supplication, meaning humility, and acknowledging God. Supplication, that's a really good word. So, do you know what you are when you offer a supplication? A supplicant, exactly right. You are a supplicant. Do you know what a supplicant is? Think about, you know, think about a high lofty king and a peasant coming into the king's court and he bows low and and makes a supplication to the king. He becomes a supplicant. A supplicant is usually on their knees, bowing before one who is far greater than them, begging for a favor from the one in power. That is the image 
of a supplicant. And so when we, in everything, by prayer and supplication, come before the Lord, we are, by definition, humbling ourselves before Him. We are recognizing that God is indeed God and we are not. And every need that we have, we come to Him for every one of those needs because He is the source and supply of all that we need. And we have no... um, no, no strength uh, or power of our own. We are poor in spirit. Okay, we are spiritually impoverished and have nothing of our own, nothing in, uh, in our own power, and we're coming to Him for all, for everything, because He's the source of everything. That's that's what a supplication is. Realizing I have no power to change my life or my circumstances, my heart, my attitude, my thoughts. So, God, I come to you alone for that. That is prayer and supplication, an attitude of the heart that is yielding and humbled before the Lord, recognizing His sovereignty and His might and His power and recognizing one one's own complete and total inadequacy, weakness, poverty of spirit. That's that's what a supplicant is. That's what supplication is. And that's the, the kind of prayer that is the opposite of anxiety, one that is humbled and acknowledges God. And then with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, meaning with a faithful and grateful heart. Think about it. When you pray with thanksgiving, what are you anticipating? God's answer, right? When I pray with thanksgiving, I'm anticipating God's answer because I'm already thanking God for answering my prayer. Thanking God for answering my prayer. And this is a really cool um, way to think, a, a really cool reality of God's sovereignty in our prayers. God's sovereignty in our prayers. That the answer to the prayer is often on the way before we make the request. I'll just give you a a really good example. Last night, Judy and I, well, yesterday, Judy and I went to go visit my parents, and we took our little grandson, Wyatt, with us to visit my parents and give them some Christmas presents and then have them, you know, have some little time with our grandson, their great-grandson, Wyatt. And Wyatt was having trouble breathing. He was coughing. sounded really bad. You know, we've had some experience in our family with asthma. And, and of course, and we also know that, man, if he has pneumonia, man, it could, it could be fatal really fast. So we're, man, we were, well, we were worried, okay? Last night, we were worried about why, what do we do, what do we do? We're driving home, and he's in the back seat in the car seat, you know, coughing and breathing real raspy, and we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And, and then we're just like, well, let's, let's, let's pray, because we need, we need help here. We need someone who is more experienced than us, because it's been a lot of years since we listened to babies breathe, okay? I mean, it's been a lot, you know, like, you know, my, our children are 21, 22 years old, and we glad they're still breathing, but I don't listen to their breathing. 
anymore, okay? I'm glad it's there. But praise God that my children still breathe, okay? But I don't listen to it, okay? It's been a long time since I had to listen to breathing, so I forgot, don't know, unsure, things, times have changed, you know? And, and we're just like, you know, God, we just, while we're driving, God, we need, oh, back up. I sent a text message to a friend of ours um, who, uh, she's a nurse, and so we're like, hey, are you going to be home? Um, we'd like to bring Wyatt by and get a nurse's opinion on what we need to do here. And then silence, silence. No, you know, no, you know, because that's my text. And those of you been around my phone, that's my little text message tone. You know, no, no response. So we pray, God, we, we, God, would you give us wisdom for this? God, would you provide, you know, help in this situation so we know what the right thing to do is? God, we're asking you, begging you to give us insight, direction in this circumstance. And then after we prayed, you know, get the little text message uh, tone, and then it's our friend. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And by the way, Steve's dad's here, and he'll take a look at him. Steve's dad is a retired pediatrician. Okay? So we took him to the doctor. Okay? God provided a doctor that we didn't even ask for. We wanted a nurse, and we got a doctor. And here's the deal. The answer was already on the way because they were already at their house. We're still 100 miles away praying, God, provide. And they were already there. God answered the prayer. The answer was on the way before we even knew what to ask, before we even uttered the prayer. That's, that's praying with thanksgiving because you know God is sovereign. And the answer is already on the way. Okay, now the answer might not be what you anticipate, okay, but the answer, the answer is still on the way because God always accomplishes his purpose. So when we pray with thanksgiving, we're praying with both a faithful and a grateful heart, faithful in saying, God, I'm praying and thanking you now because I know you're going to answer. Because, God, that's how you are. You're sovereign and you're in control. And, God, the answer's probably even already on the way. So I'm thanking you now before I see the answer because I already know the answer is on the way. And, God, also, I'm grateful. It's so that praying with thanksgiving is an expression of faith, but it's also an expression of gratitude. Just, just simply, God, I am grateful that you hear and answer our prayers. And then finally, those who trust are at peace. Those who trust are at peace. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? So first of all, understand, this peace is the peace of God. Okay? So whatever you're thinking the definition of peace is, erase it. Because that's your definition of peace. That's human peace. It's, it's, it's not the peace of God that surpasses human understanding. Because that's, that's what the scripture tells us the peace of God is. It, it goes beyond what we can understand. And sometimes that understanding means I'm at peace when I don't know why I would. I'm at peace when the rest of the world says I should not be at peace. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it can mean I'm at peace when the circumstances around me are crazy. And anyone else would say, why aren't you bouncing off the walls? Why aren't you crying, weeping, gnashing your teeth? Why aren't you crying out in hateful anger towards God? Why isn't all of this happening in your life? Why are you, you, know, why are you that way? 
Well, it's because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is there. But here's what I want you to see about also about the peace of God. The peace of God is primarily a guard of our heart and our mind, okay? Not a comfort, though it is a comfort. It is comforting when we have God's peace. And there is just sort of by definition, peace is comforting. But I want you to see that comfort is not the primary role of peace. It's to guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. It's there to protect us. It's, it's to protect us from thinking wrongly or believing wrongly about Christ. To think and believe wrongly about God and His purposes and His love and His watch care and His provision. It's there to protect us from wrong thinking and wrong belief. That's primarily what God's peace is there for. That's its primary function and purpose as we pray and not worry, as we rejoice and not worry, when we are selfless and not worry, when we trust in God's sovereignty and his presence and not worry, that peace is there to guard us, to guard our heart from unbelief, to guard our mind from wrong, erroneous thinking about God. I'm not saying that the peace isn't comforting. It, it can be. I'm not saying that the peace even helps guide us, though primarily that's not its purpose. We don't, we don't necessarily, are, we're not necessarily guided by the peace of God. It's not that like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling between two, two, think, two decisions or two, two possibilities. And, and, well, I feel peace about this one. Well, that might be so that your heart and mind is guarded from wrong belief and wrong thinking, not so that that's the direction you'll go. <laughs> because God's peace is not necessarily meant to be our directional guide, but the guard of our heart the guard of our mind, the guard of our belief, the guard of our thoughts, not necessarily a directional guide. So those who trust are at peace. Those who trust pray. Those who trust are selfless. Those who trust rejoice. So how do we learn to trust? How do we trust in God? And rejoice in Him. And pray and practice selflessness in all and every circumstance. Well, first, we meditate on the sovereignty of God. And, and here's, what, here's what I mean. Proclaim the gospel truth of God's sovereignty to yourself. Consistently, regularly proclaiming the gospel truth of the sovereign control of God to myself. You doing that to yourself. Because here's the deal. We're just not always convinced of the sovereignty of God. We're not convinced practically. We know in our heads that God is sovereign. We know in our heads that God is sovereign. <clears throat> if I said, is God sovereign? Everyone would go, yes! God is sovereign. We believe that. But yet, there are holes all over the place in our living. 
there are plenty of actions and thoughts and words of ours that aren't consistent with a belief in the sovereignty of God. So we have to convince ourselves. We must be convinced of the sovereignty of God. And that happens as we regularly proclaim that truth to ourselves, as we meditate on the sovereignty of God and what it means. What, it, what are the implications of God's sovereignty in my life? This is my circumstance. And God is sovereign. What does that mean? That means that God is in control of this circumstance. And this circumstance is his desire and plan for me. So I can trust in him. Okay? So God is sovereign and this is my relational status. My relationship status. What does that mean? That God is in control of my relationship status. Okay, And this is his plan for me so I can trust in him. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? Okay, And this is my circumstance. And this is how I talk about my circumstance. Well, it means that God's sovereignty needs to control my words about my circumstance. In fact, the next, I guess, point of application is that we, that we would speak... And think and act in faith, not fear. That we think, speak, and act in faith, not fear. Remember, fear is what fuels our worry, but faith, I guess, defeats our worry. Okay? You know, it, 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 it eliminates our worry. And so, faith needs to guide our thinking and our speaking and our acting in every circumstance. Okay, and guys, this is way more difficult than it sounds. Or maybe it does sound super difficult to you. Maybe it, maybe it sounds, you, you get that that's difficult. But I'm, t- I'm here to tell you it's so difficult. Because it's one thing for us to have a circumstance in our life and us say, hey, I'm trusting God for this. Uh, God is in control I'm yielding it to him, but then everything else we say about the circumstance is fear. Fear, fear, fear. Everything we say are words of fear. Oh, I, like, I don't think they're ever going to change. I don't think the circumstance will ever be different. Um, I, I just have no hope of resolution. I have no hope of reconciliation. I don't think this is ever going to change. How is that? Words of faith. No, it's words of fear. When we speak in that way, those are words of fear, not faith. And, and, and maybe we don't say those things, but we definitely think them. So maybe I know that I've got to shut my mouth because my mouth is speaking words of, of, of fear. But then how about my thoughts? You know, the thoughts that don't get voiced in words, <laughs> that's still coming from my heart and in this, in my heart, am I fearful or faithful? Am I, am I thinking thoughts of fear or am I thinking thoughts of faith? We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, last last week, Caleb reminded us that that when it comes to 
getting the fact that the Bible is God's word, we have the mind of Christ that enables us to do that. You know, and the mind of Christ also enables us to think thoughts of faith, not fear. Taking on that mind of Christ and practicing the mind of Christ enables us to, 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 to speak and think, speak words and think thoughts of faith, not fear, and then act, actions. Let's take actions of faith, not fear. Let not our actions be driven by fear, but let our actions be guided by our faith. But not only, not only do we uh, meditate on God's sovereignty and think and speak and act in faith, not fear, but we also proclaim God's sovereignty to one another. You know, first, remember, um, I, I suggested that we need to proclaim God's sovereignty to ourselves. That's true. But then let's also proclaim it to one another. Let's, we, need, we need to remind ourselves that God is sovereign and in control and he's present in our lives, okay, but then we also need to remind one another that God is sovereign and present in our lives. Okay? And not in a, you know, just a kind of a silly platitude kind of way, but with, with compassion and depth of, of understanding, proclaim to one another that in your circumstance, in all of our circumstances, God is sovereignly in control. Okay? And He is present. He is not far from you. He is at hand. He is near. He is present now with you in this circumstance. And then finally, pray. Pray. Practicing the kind of praying that, that we read about in, in, in Philippians 4, 6. Let's pray in a way that acknowledges everything, yields everything to God, that acknowledges who He is and who we are in relationship, that is both faithful and grateful. Okay? Pray. What are the worrisome circumstances in your life today? This is a gospel implication. Christ died under the wrath of God to save sinners. None of us have a more grave circumstance than that. Whatever you are facing today, it's not hell. It might seem like it, but it's not hell. It's not eternal judgment. And God, in Christ, through His, His life and death and resurrection, has forever, has, for, has eternally dealt with that situation, that circumstance, for all who are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. All who have turned from their sin, who have shown repentance toward God and put their faith in Christ. All God has already dealt with that circumstance. 
how much more, how much more will he deal, be able to deal with the other circumstances in our lives? All others sort of pale in comparison to sin and eternal judgment, don't they? Right? And this is a very gospel implication that, like, <clears throat> if I don't have to worry about eternal destination and judgment, if I don't have to worry about being rightly related to God because of Jesus, then why would I need to worry about anything else because of Jesus? I mean, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he graciously in him give us all things? Protection and provision and 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 rejoicing and selflessness and prayer and peace. Yield those. Trust in the sovereignty of God today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you're sovereign. You're in control. And God, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough for each one of us to trust in you and not worry, to rejoice in you and not worry, to live selfless, unselfish lives and not worry, to pray and not worry. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.